Al Jazeera podcast. Next year's U.S. presidential election is predicted to be a contest between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. But not even that is certain in the most uncertain of election campaigns. So who else might be in the mix? And what are the important issues? I'm Derin Abogeda. You're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze and help define major global stories. All right, let's bring in our guest. Joining us from uh, St. August Augustine in Florida is Tim Constantine, who's a senior vice president of diplomacy and external affairs at The Washington Times. He's also the host of The Capitol Hill Show. And from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, we have with us Thomas Gift, who's the director of the Center on U.S. Politics at University College London. And from Burlington, Vermont, we're joined by Arshad Hassan, who's a Democratic political strategist. Welcome to you all. Thanks for your time. Arshad, I'll begin with you because, uh, look, according to one poll by uh, polling firm 538, Biden's approval rating is sitting at around 34 percent, and that is the worst of any president at the same point since polling uh, data uh, became available. How much does this worry the Democrats? I, I know that there are some people who are a little bit worried about this, but when we contextualize it, in terms of whether you would vote for Joe Biden when that poll question is asked, he's sitting in about the same place he was this time about four years ago. And remember, four years ago, um, oh, he ended up becoming the uh, the nominee and the president. So. I think people are more focused a year out. People shouldn't really be that focused on the polls themselves, more about what the candidates each are doing. Right, but is he putting his party at risk by running? I don't think so. Uh, right now, he's running one of the strongest economies, recoveries we've seen in this country. And as, pe as it gets closer and closer to the election, as more and more people see that they're more secure in their livelihoods, they're more secure in their household budgets, um, they'll see that this economy is much better than it was this point four years ago. And that's what people will be looking for when they start making those decisions at the ballot box. I think this will be good. Okay, just one more for you before I bring in my other guests, because, uh, you know, in the context of the Gaza war that we've been seeing, Arshad, <clears throat> we hear from a lot of Arab-American voters who say that President Biden won't be getting their vote because of his stance um, and, and his stance that he's taken uh, to support Israel no matter what. Is that going to make a big difference? I actually do think, and I'll differ for some of my colleagues here, I do think that that is something that Joe Biden needs to get a handle on. Arab American voters make up an enormous amount, a significant amount of the electorate in one of, one of the biggest swing states in the country, Michigan. And so Joe Biden needs to be doing outreach and communicating to this community um, if he wants to shore up an important constituency within an important state, and that's the politics. He does need to do the work here. All right, Thomas, let's bring you in, because um, uh, I, I want to stick with Biden uh, for just a moment before we talk about the other candidates as well as Trump. Does Biden have the energy to actually fuel a campaign at this time? Because much is made uh, about his age. He's 81, and he would be the oldest American to win a presidential election should he win uh, that nomination, of course. Well, I mean, I think that that's certainly a legitimate question, and it's one that Republicans are trying to put front and center, and especially given Kamala Harris's uh, very poor polling numbers, ones that are even lower than Joe Biden, they're essentially trying to uh, depict a vote for Biden as being a vote for Harris. And 
I still think that voters, by and large, um, you know, vote for the top of the ticket, um, but it has to be a consideration given his age. And I do think that this is a, a drag on Joe Biden's poll numbers. It's very difficult to look at the numbers right now, even with the caveat that we are about a year out and be uh, in any way encouraged by them. Not only uh, nationally does it look like uh, Joe Biden is maybe losing by a few percentage points uh, to Donald Trump at the moment, but he's losing in almost all of the key uh, swing states. There was a recent poll that came out showing that Donald Trump had an edge in uh, seven key battleground states. Um, so for lots of reasons, both uh, related to Joe Biden's uh, performance, potentially his age. He's just not polling well. I mean, the, the one. So how do you think that the White is House is dealing with this, Thomas? I mean, does the White House have a convincing message to Democrats about why they shouldn't be nervous? Well, I think that to a large extent, the White House has tried to frame this as a public relations problem and that they're just not getting the message out. But I think that a lot of voters are just dissatisfied with the state of the U.S. economy and the state that the country is uh, going at the moment. Now, I do think that it's it's interesting that uh, polls so show such disfavorability um, on the economy, because if you looked at some objective measures, uh, inflation has decreased considerably. Uh, jobs numbers are still relatively robust. It looks like the economy is going to achieve this soft landing that many feared that it would not be able to. So there does seem to be a, a disconnect between what's happening um, on the ground and, and how Americans are reacting. But you know, ultimately, I, I think Joe Biden um, has to figure out some uh, way to, to circumvent that challenge because it's really been dragging down his numbers. OK, let's bring in Tim. I mean, do you agree with that? And um, is it just going to be Joe Biden, Tim, or how likely is a, a Democratic shakeup at this point? I see an entirely different scenario. And, and I've been saying this for months. And when I first said it, people kind of laughed and thought I was crazy. But as time has gone on, they think, hmm, maybe maybe there's something to this. I believe Joe Biden will, will continue to run through the primary process. In the United States, you mentioned in the opening, Iowa. There's Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. They go state by state. There are a few days where there are multiple states. And by May or so, hopefully someone in either party has racked up enough delegates to officially be the candidate for their party. I think Joe Biden will go through that process and then enter the convention this summer, the Democrat convention, as the assumed nominee. However, I think at that convention, Joe Biden and the people around him will announce, ah, I have had, I've seen the light. I've, I've had a, a thought here that perhaps I am too old, perhaps I am not ready to go for another four years. However, his people will control all of those delegates, which means essentially they can choose they, get to, they have unusually large sway over who their nominee will be. I think you, you'll see Michelle Obama. Joe Biden's administration is essentially Biden 2.0. Uh, Biden is Obama 2.0, meaning a whole lot of the people that work in that administration are Obama people, Obama presidency people. They Tim, I got to ask you, though, I got to ask you what you're basing this on. I mean, you, you say that this is just is this the, the feeling you have? You think this is what's going to happen or or is there do you have some insider info you can share with us? No, I think it's based on political reality. You know, your, your earlier guest said the economy is good. I just disagree. It's good compared to where it was 18 months ago. But it's not good. Having three and a half percent inflation isn't great. It's better than the nine percent inflation. But when they say there's a disconnect between the voter, between the resident of the United States, the citizen, and the actual economy, I don't think there is. 
when on election day in 2020, I literally went out and took a photograph of how much gas was on that day. It was a buck 89 for a gallon of gas. And over the last couple of years, it's gone as high as $4. Every single American puts gasoline in their car. So when gas is twice as expensive, they feel it in their wallet. If you right. buy things like eggs, they are twice as expensive. So there's no disconnect. That's real life. When people go out, this, it's winter time here now, and you can buy a bag of wood at the grocery store to put in your fireplace. A year and a half ago, or a, a winter of a year ago, it was $5 a bag. It is now $9 a bag. So those are real numbers. Those are real hits on people. And the reality is you've got an 81-year-old president who looks and acts every one of those 81 years. He falls down on stage. He looks lost on stage. He does not look like he is in charge at a time when there is war raging in the Middle East. There's war raging in Ukraine and Russia. And right. All topics. Yeah. Sure all issues that we're going to get onto. All issues we're going to get onto. But just allow me to let Arshad the, the jump point in. Being, I don't think Biden. Point okay. being, I don't think Biden is a viable candidate. I think the Democrats know that. Your Democrat guest okay. isn't going to say that. Okay. Stand by. Stand by for a moment because I do want to get back to Arshad because I saw you shaking your head when Tim was suggesting that Michelle Obama might be put forward. I'm sorry, but this is absurd. It's completely unserious. That's not how any of this works. I've actually been a delegate uh, a number of times at the convention. It just doesn't work like this. Michelle Obama herself, who's a vastly, highly popular figure among Americans, and particularly the Democratic Party, has absolutely no interest in running for any office of any sort. Moreover, you need to put together an entire campaign, an entire infrastructure for any of this kind of stuff to work. It doesn't happen in secret. People would know. So I'm sorry, but this is... Uh, be lovely. Okay. I think Michelle Obama is lovely, but that's a honey. This works. all right. I mean, at this point, at this point, you know, we'll uh, we'll let, have to wait to see what happens. Just, just very briefly, Tim. Very briefly, because I'd like to move on to another issue. Go on. Sure. Here's why it will work. For Michelle Obama to run a campaign for nine months would not work. She has a tendency to put her foot in her mouth, even when she has the best of intentions. However, in this scenario, the Democrat convention is late in August, which leaves her only September and October before Election Day. The first 30 days, the American media, who loves Michelle Obama, will fawn all over her. She will not have to do anything. And then the last 30 days, first of all, she'll decline to debate Trump or whomever the nominee is, because Trump, for example, this year refused to participate in the Republican debates. So there's no problem. There's no he has no uh, legitimate argument when she says thank you, but no thank you. I'm not going to okay. debate. Well, I'm glad you so bring instead, up Trump. Wait, well, last note. Last note. Instead, she'll do a television special with Oprah, and that will get huge ratings. And American women and American minorities, both key constituencies, will absolutely love her. This is all right. We'll not have to we'll have to wait to see what happens, and we'll check in with both of you gentlemen at the time uh, to see whether these predictions uh, have come true. But Thomas, let me bring you in. On the Republican side, uh, the expectation is that Trump is going to be victorious. That's the expectation, according to the polls as well. But what we see now is that his legal troubles are back at the forefront, and we also saw that recently the Colorado High Court ruled that Trump is ineligible to run again for president. Um, first, talk to us about what happened in Colorado and what does this disqualification mean for Trump going forward, if anything at all? 
Well, it was a 4-3 decision in Colorado, essentially banning Donald Trump uh, from being on the ballot. Trump is going to appeal this to the Supreme Court, and I think in all likelihood the Supreme Court is going to overrule uh, that decision and that he will ultimately be on the ballot. But I think uh, from Trump's standpoint, in terms of the campaign, this was an early Christmas gift for him. Uh, it was a present just like all the other indictments that uh, have helped him and will continue to help him. And Donald Trump is basically able to, to frame this as yet another example of where uh, the judicial system is being weaponized against him that he's the, the victim, uh, that this is a hoax, um, that this is a witch hunt, uh, et cetera. And we've seen his poll numbers, of course, uh, increase every single time uh, he has faced legal difficulties. I don't think that this uh, instance will be any different. And I really do think that Donald Trump is going to be the runaway um, nominee for the, the Republican side. He has a big lead in Iowa, almost 30 percentage points. We are seeing Nikki Haley to an extent um, reduce that margin in New Hampshire. But I still think that she's just too far away uh, from Donald Trump. And especially given what we saw um, over this last week, it's only going to uh, shepherd him to the nomination. Arsha, do you agree with this, that this helps Trump uh, when it comes to his run for presidency? And also, um, what impact does uh, all of this have on independent voters? I, that's where the question really is. First, I'll say this, I can agree that Donald Trump is a consummate grifter. No matter what happens, he's going to find a way to raise money off of it. That's exactly what he's been doing. That's exactly what he'll continue to do, regardless of the outcome of any of these sort of verdicts. But to your second question, what does this do for independent voters? I agree the Supreme Court may well strike this down and Trump will appear on the ballots, but the message this is reinforcing for independent voters, people who are potentially persuadable, is this reinforces the fact that Donald Trump constantly gets himself into legal trouble. And I don't mean small little legal trouble. I mean defrauding, denying, and conspiring, conspiring to overthrow the will of the people. Americans, these, these prosecutions, people forget that in order to get these prosecutions, in order to get these indictments, Grand juries of everyday Americans, people from all over and all different kinds of backgrounds in multiple jurisdictions, have indicted Donald Trump on now over 90 different charges. Every time that Donald Trump goes to court, sure, he'll send out an email to raise money off of it, but also it will remind voters that this man is unreliable, unstable, and does not respect the will of the people. Okay, Tim, um, react to that and also tell us who's likely to challenge Trump in the primaries, at least. I mean, there are a number of candidates, but who's the most likely threat, do you think? Sure. Uh, the, uh, just to, to the last comment there, the indictment doesn't mean anything. That's not a charge of guilt. That means there's, there's a charge. In the indictment process, before a grand jury, only one side is presented. The prosecutor presents his side. There is no defense whatsoever. And the only question of the grand jury is, do you have enough information that this should go to trial? But they only hear one side of the story. So an indictment means absolutely nothing. And in the United States, you are presumed innocent until you are found guilty in trial. On trial. So okay, that, just uh, what about the other well, candidates? On the other candidates, I think that what we'll keep an eye on is in Iowa, even though he polls way ahead, I don't know how much uh, of a structure he has. Iowa is a caucus instead of a primary, meaning at a primary, you go, you vote, you go back to work, or you go home, or at a caucus, you stay there for hours. And it's all about being organized, but Iowa also has a long history of picking losers. 
Ted Cruz won Iowa in 2016. Rick Santorum won in, in uh, 2012. You go all the way back to Reagan, and George Bush beat Ronald Reagan in Iowa. So uh, Iowa it may create some momentum for someone, but it is not the end-all, be-all. What it will do, if Trump wins that big, if he wins by 40 points, it continues the, the uh, feeling of inevitability. Uh, Tom mentioned there, there was a recent poll in New Hampshire that showed Nikki Haley within striking distance. That, that most recent poll, and I think it was a TIPP poll, I might be mistaken, but a credible poll, was had Trump at 33, Nikki Haley at 29. So I think the only place you're going to see a possibility is if she does well in New Hampshire, South Carolina, which is her home state, is the third state in the process. So then maybe you set up a little race. But I think it's going to be awful tough for any of the other candidates to overcome the numbers we're seeing. Tom, what about the issues uh, that are important for Americans? I mean, obviously, the economy is one. We've already spoken about that. But what other issues will, will voters be taking into consideration when it comes to domestic uh, U.S. issues? We'll get on to foreign policy in just a moment. Right. Well, I think that the economy is front and center. Uh, that's always going to be uh, the case. And if the economy is trending up, of course, that's going to help uh, Joe Biden if it stays sort of at the, the current level. I think that this is good for the Republican nominee, if that's Trump or, or someone else. Immigration uh, certainly is an issue, I think, that uh, Republicans can make significant uh, progress on in terms of uh, challenging uh, the administration. Also, the abortion issue is one that um, is kind of the gift that keeps on giving for Democrats. We saw that uh, particularly in uh, the 2022 midterms. We saw that in the 2023 uh, off-year elections as well. That's something that uh, Republicans, by and large, have uh, had difficulty grappling with. But I ultimately think that if it is it is uh, Trump versus Biden in 2024. This election is going to be less about specific policy issues and more about just the personalities of these two individuals. I think it will largely just be a referendum on uh, Donald Trump. Typically, we see referendums on the individual who's in the White House, but Donald Trump, just because of his outsized personality, his polarized um, status, it's all going to be about, you know, do we want uh, four more years of this individual or do we want kind of more uh, of the same? Do we want the status quo? Okay, Arshad, what about foreign policy issues? I mean, we know, uh, you know, judging by uh, past elections and history, Americans don't vote on foreign policy issues when it comes to uh, picking their presidents, right? But uh, now with the Gaza war going on, with the Ukraine war uh, going on, um, with the, you know, competition for, for China taking place with the U.S. Uh, what's the... Is there a conversation on these issues happening right now amongst American voters? I'll be honest. I have to say that the conversation happening amongst American voters and the conversation that most politicians are happening do not line up particularly well, including when it comes to the, when it comes to the Middle East and Gaza in particular. You have both the Democratic Party and the Republican Party refusing to support a ceasefire in Gaza, although most Americans, almost two to one, support a ceasefire. So there are certainly conversations happening, but this is one where both parties have really disconnected from the American people. It's kind of a way of saying, you know, it's, a, it's really not a big alternative between the between the two parties there, which right. is another way of saying that it's not really going to affect the election a great deal. This is but here's this the thing. Huge choice um, here's the thing, Tim. China. China is a big one, because China, what happens with China, affects the American economy. 
Um, so hmm. we know that Republicans are arguing that China is a growing threat to the national security of the U.S., a threat to U.S. corporate interests, as well as to Taiwan's independence. And President Biden is saying that his administration wants to de-risk and not decouple its relationship with China and to work to keep the competition between the world's number one and number two economic powers from escalating into a conflict. Is that going to resonate with voters, Tim? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where, again, I think it's uh, a fuzz, it's a blur, it's uh, somehow white noise when you talk to voters about that. They know they go to the store or they go online and they purchase a product and there's a pretty good chance it might be made in China. Short of that, the rest of it is white noise to them. So Biden may have a message, Trump may have a message, but I don't think either one of them will spend a great deal of time talking about China. And I, I, I just, I don't think that's something that's gonna resonate with voters at all. I do think the one bit of foreign policy that will resonate is uh, particularly with Arab Americans and with Jewish Americans is the Gaza Strip. And I, I think Biden is being treated, I'll say unfairly here because the Jewish community in the United States doesn't think he's being strong enough, and the Arab community feels totally abandoned. So he could lose both sides because of the way that situation has been handled thus far by his administration. Right, okay. And just one final thought from all three uh, gentlemen. Thomas, I'll start with you. Um, are Americans excited by a Trump versus Biden election? I think it's the exact opposite of excitement. Uh, and in fact, I think it's dejection and just really just total uh, just fatigue. I, I don't think that they want to see uh, a rematch of 2020. And that's the big irony here, which is that you have uh, two of the primary uh, candidates, both of whom have poll numbers that are underwater. Uh, most people don't want Joe Biden. Most people want Donald Trump. They want an alternative. Um, but because of how our primary system works and how deference to the incumbent uh, works in the White House, this is the uh, option that they're going to get. But yeah, okay. I, I think it's hard-pressed to find someone who thinks that this Arshad, is the exact Arshad, do you think that voter apathy will play a part if Americans are not excited about this election, if, it's, if it is a Trump versus Biden one? In 30 seconds, please. I know, and I will say this, I know for a fact that the Democratic Party must work on voter apathy. It can be a problem for us. The one thing that I do know is that many voters are motivated to vote against Trump, uh, very clearly, same as last time. It is also important that the Democratic Party works uh, on its base to make sure that there is enthusiasm for Biden. Both these things need to be true. All right, Tim, final word to you. Uh, Rasmussen put out a poll that showed 61% of Americans, 61% said they don't want to see that rematch. So if you talk about apathy or frustration, you have hit it on the nose. I think this is an odd case where a third-party candidate can't win the way the system is set up, but could have an impact on the outcome. If a third party get in, there may be enough people that are so frustrated on both sides of the issue that they, they go down that center and that has an impact on who ultimately wins. All right, we'll uh, have to see what happens for the time being. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining us. Tim Constantine, Thomas Gift, and Arshad Hassan, thanks for your time. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Carl Legg, Laurent Peter, and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Yasser Rahmani. The program was edited by Lin Guyen, Vanessa Connolly, Negan Ulai, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode.
Thank you for listening. Tune in on Saturday for our next edition. Coming up on The Take, we're looking at some of the stories that define 2023. From drones in Ukraine to the rise of chat GPT. That's The Take from Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.